loves the Father, loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is the love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and ask God who will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know that also the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even his, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Pray. Lord, we, we come before you today to hear truth from you. And I've been entrusted by these people in this room to do my best to share the truth of this passage with them. So please um, just bless my mind, bless my heart. Bless our ears and our hearts as we listen to this. Be with us here today. Let us be in your presence as we unpack this. In your name, amen. amen. <clears throat> um, we're finishing out our series on 1 John. Seven weeks we've been in this letter. Seven weeks, maybe some of you are ready to be done. Um, <clears throat> 1 John is, I had no idea what I was getting into. Let me tell you, I had no idea what I was getting into when I picked this book out. Um, just the level of uh, complexity, the level of um, depth, gravity. Uh, John is taking on such sort of principal, central parts of our faith in this book. And I think when I first read it through, it was such a, a light reading of it. And the study of it has really um, brought me to my knees week after week to be honest, and thinking about how do I present this to all of you? How do I preach this as one who is following this? Um, so this, this closing chapter to the letter is kind of like, imagine um, a TED Talk, and you're wrapping up the TED Talk. Like, it's a summary, right? Imagine, <laughs> imagine um, an essay, and your last few paragraphs in conclusion, right? This is, this is John's in conclusion statement where he's saying, look, I've said all this stuff. Some of it maybe made sense. Some of it didn't. You got pieces. You didn't get pieces. Here's what I really mean. Here's what I want you to take away. Take this to the bank. And he is saying what he said at the very beginning, which is be secure. 
finally we can be secure. So I was thinking about this idea of security. Um, you know, what does security bring? There's a, there's a security system, this ring security system that you like attach to your phone. A lot of you probably have these security systems where you can like literally look at what's going on in your house right now if you wanted to, or like see if your door is unlocked. Um, the ring security system, their tagline is peace of mind. Peace of mind. Like security, we're selling, when we sell security, we're selling this idea of peace of mind. That's what we're really looking for, isn't it, in our life? We're looking for some kind of system that will finally bring us a peace of mind because we're so tired of not having that. And John's saying, look, this is the real security. It doesn't look anything like any of those other systems, but this is the real security. And we know this because if we go to the Gospel of John, We go to chapter 14, uh, verse 27. Jesus is saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So right there you can say he's giving peace, but it's not going to look like what we think. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. But I mean, honestly, when I hear that sometimes, I just want to call BS on that. I want to say no. My life is not peaceful. Right? If I'm losing my job, I actually don't have money to pay my bills. If I go on social media or Twitter and I see 20 people with more successful lives than me, I don't feel good about myself. If I'm losing a friend or I I have anger at my spouse, there is no peace of mind in my life. Those things do not bring peace. So, how on earth, Jesus, are you bringing peace? I think I'm a Christian. Why don't I feel peaceful? Why do I have so much anxiety? How can this message really be true? So that's what I want to dig in today. And I want to start looking at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. But this, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we should be on a quest for victory to overcome the world? No. Who has overcome the world? Jesus. And it's our belief that he has overcome the world that brings security. Not our quest for overcoming the world that brings security. What a huge difference that is. That right there is the switch of the system of the worldly system to a kingdom system. The security of knowing that it is not our job to overcome the world, but it's already happened. Because in verse 20, if we go down to the end of this passage, it says, and we know that the Son of God has come. Why has he come? To, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, so we may know the truth, so that we may be in him who is true. We'll get to that later. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. If we really get down to the bottom of it, the only thing that really brings us true security is the idea that death is not the end of everything. Because then the nature of our life completely and radically changes. 
What we do in this life has eternal perspective. It is not the ultimate only thing for us. So then the question is, okay, John, I know all that stuff. I get it in my head. I know about that. This isn't anything new to me. I still can't do it. So what's the problem? And I think the key to this is actually in the middle of this section that I skipped over, there's a verse, verse 6. And if you go in your Bibles and you're looking through this passage, open up 1 John 5 for me. Look and see in verse 6, and it says, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. So now here's, here's the wild thing. If the Spirit is the truth, and this is all tied into the peace of mind, how does the Spirit factor into the peace of mind? And this is the crazy thing about our Bibles. I jumped into, first John, or into John, John 14, 27, and I found this peace of mind line, right? But you've got to backtrack to the previous verse. So before Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, he's not just saying, like, I'm telling you a nice thing. The previous verse, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. You see the connection. He's left with us a truth. That's the gospel. And in the belief of that truth is the indwelling of the Spirit in us. That's how it happens. That's what he imparted to us. And that brings peace of mind. This is a little bit of a Bible study feeling, but I really want us to get this. This is so foundational to what I want to address today. And this is the, the crux of it. Our peace in Christianity is not reached the way peace is reached in other spiritualities. Like if you look at Buddhism, the way you reach peace in Buddhism is the letting go of everything into ultimate aloneness into ultimate, like into the ether of nirvana, right? You just like give it all away and you have nothing. Our peace is the opposite. It's the giving it, of, the giving it to somebody, the letting go to somebody, and the eternal companionship of the Holy Spirit, even starting right now in your life, even starting right now, you have companionship every moment. It's the opposite of aloneness. It's togetherness that brings our peace. In our faith. So what does this mean? This means that if there is a broken relationship, if I profess to be a Christian, I'm going to challenge you. It means if I have a broken relationship, I am secure. I have eternal life because of Jesus' death for me. I have peace of mind. I have a broken relationship. I have peace of mind. There is a failed plan. I have peace of mind. There is devastating personal news. I have peace of mind. There's dehabilitating personal crisis. I have peace of mind. I'm depressed. I have peace of mind. I'm ashamed. I have peace of mind. Because it's not about your overcoming of your life. It's not your victory to win. It doesn't matter just what you do. So key. So key. How do we be finally secure? It links into the understanding and the knowing. 
Not just knowing about, but deeply knowing. So in verse 1, this, this section starts out with this idea that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It doesn't say they, they know of God. It doesn't say they've heard about this thing called Christianity. It doesn't say they, they think it's a nice idea. It says they've been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Interesting line there. John is saying everybody who loves the Father has been born of him. Not just we have been born of him, but Jesus has been born of him. And he begins to build this family. He begins to build this idea of a family. That knowing about is different than knowing. If I know about church, right, that's so much different than knowing a church. Think of your friends who might have baggage or problems with Christianity. They might know about Christianity. They might have heard of Christianity. They know they have a list of 10 horrible things about Christians. But then they get to know you, a Christian, and you get a chance to flip all of that stuff on its head. Because that's the difference of knowing about versus knowing a relationship, a person. There's a difference in proximity. There's a difference in vulnerability. Right? If I know somebody who runs a business versus I know about a business. I could go to a coffee shop every single day and I know basically nothing about that coffee shop. But if I know the owner of that coffee shop, suddenly I know all of the financial issues, their rent issues. I know that their, his or her emotional connection, the history. I start to know all sorts of things about it. My love for it grows in a totally different way. I might become loyal to it because I love the owner of it. It's a totally different kind of a knowing that happens. And so our challenge as Christians is do we know about Jesus or do we really know Jesus? Have we decided that we're willing to put the equity into being known in the way that he's let himself be known to us? That we're actually willing to step out and have that level of, of nakedness, that level of vulnerability. For most of us, that's the difficult part of this journey because it requires a cost. There's pain. To know about something allows you to criticize it freely, to like it freely, because at any moment you can disengage immediately from it, right? But once you know somebody, the disengagement, the disconnection, there's actually a fracture. There's a breaking. That's hard to do. Once you have a friend, to leave that friend is hard. Such a huge difference. And here's, here's the crazy thing. We are all either past or present prodigal children of God. He, because he knows us like a son or daughter. So even though we can say that we just know about Jesus, the reality is he knows us intimately. He knows us deeply. So to say that we're not in some way part of that family, we're just kidding ourselves, right? We actually are all. The world is all part of God's plan for a family. He desperately wants us all to be there. And all of his message is about love 
that we would all be in his presence. And it's just up to us to decide, am I going to be a present or a past prodigal child? Am I going to let go and come back home or I'm going to stay out there? A lot of us have a fear deep down of picking sides. There was a a tweet I saw from a pastor who was very influential for me in Providence, actually. He runs a church called Sanctuary Church in Rhode Island. And he said, the greatest threat to the church is not progressivism or conservatism, but the absence of hunger for God's presence. So it's not that the church is too much one way or the church is too much some other way culturally. The biggest problem with the church is that we just don't fully get into it. We don't actually desire to be in the presence of God because we're too in love with ourselves to actually want to be changed by anything else. We have a fear of picking sides because we know once we pick a side, we're going to have to stick with that thing. And our culture has defined itself around the ability to just sit on the sidelines and criticize whatever we want and praise whatever we want. And then just on a moment's notice, we can switch. We can just switch and we can become a whole different person. We can move to a different city. We can get a new account. We can get a new avatar. We can get whatever we want to become something totally different at any moment. We don't have to stick with who we are and what our identity is. We have such lukewarmness, such apathy, even towards the faith that we are in. And sadly, I mean, you've heard of this idea of FOMO, this fear of missing out, this social media idea. Fear of missing out is like this real thing. And it's when you see something come up on your feed and you like want to have it now that you've seen it. I want to eat that. Oh gosh, I want to be at that concert. And like, it's just all about like you, you now you're afraid that you're going to miss out. Christians, so many of us as Christians don't have fear of missing out of God's presence. We have fear of missing out of the world. We have fear of missing out of all the things that we're missing from culture if we become a Christian. We're so deathly afraid of actually being in the family because we don't really think God is good. We don't really think he's for us. And John says, everyone who believes in Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This whole thing is about adoption. And some of us are pretending that we're adopted without acting like adopted people. We don't really care about the authority of our Father who has adopted us and given things for us. We don't see ourselves as adopted people. Or maybe we do when it's good for us, but the rest of the time, whatever. So there's three specific implications I want to get to this idea, this idea of family, this idea that we are born, that we are known and we know. Three things. One is that faith in Jesus means we are secure in our attitudes. We're secure in our identities. The second is that faith in Jesus means we are secure in our communities. We're actually secure right here as a church. Small or big as we may be, messed up as we all may be, broken as we all may be, there's security right here in this room. There's security in this community. And the last thing is that we actually have security in our outcomes. We actually have security knowing in this idea that God is good. 
this reality that God is good, we have security in our outcomes. So, security in our attitude. Faith in Jesus means you are comfortable in your own skin. Just chew on that for a second. I wrestled with this so much this week. Faith in Jesus means you are comfortable in your... If I read this, I have to accept that faith in Jesus means I am comfortable in my own skin. How many of you are squirming in your skin as a Christian in the week? You are just squirming as you confront people that are non-Christians. You are so uncomfortable with your faith. Your faith brings you peace of mind in your identity, but you must own it. We have to own it. We have to own that we are not part of the world system, that we're part of a kingdom system, that we're part of this upside down, opposite world, that we are adopted into something that we don't fully understand and we're never meant to fully understand, but it is so good and it is so loving and we have no need anymore for what the world is going to give us. That means that we believe we are fallen, we are broken, yet we are whole. We are valuable. That we are only in the family because of Jesus' advocacy for us. That we know the world and the power of evil does not own us anymore. In verse 19 it says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of of the evil one. It's a systems question. If, if, if your kids, if those of you who have kids, for instance, with my kids, if they denied, if like I was in a public space and they like flat out denied that I was their parents, like that would, that would suck. <laughs> that would not be very great. Like I would just be like, what? Like, okay, go on. Like, why don't you like me? Why are you embarrassed by me? You know, like, why, why are you ashamed that I'm your dad? Go on. Like, if I found out that they didn't, like, want to share with other people that they liked me, that they could call me their dad, here's what I would know. There's something about their relationship with the people that they're with that makes them uncomfortable about me. They actually have a split identity. There's somebody with their friends that's different than the person they are with me. Our trust has to be a little bit broken. Now, as a loving dad, I can say, of course, I'm going to embarrass my kids, right? But there's a level, there's a level of magnitude there. Where at a certain point, you have to say, either who are these friends or who are you? I don't know if I either know who your friends are and the influence they have on you, or I don't know if I know you anymore. You're trying to be two people. Who are you? Pastor out in New York, John Tyson, said, the great conflict of our age is between self-denial and self-fulfillment. Two different gospels, two different good news are at war with each other, being preached with tremendous ferocity. In Christianity, the message of self-denial. In the world, the message of self-fulfillment. Every day of our lives, Every moment of our weeks, we are at war with these two ideas in every action we make, every decision we make. And here's the crazy thing. Self-denial is not masochism. I'm going to say that again. Self-denial is not masochism. I think, the, I think the concept that we have such a hard time with with self-denial is that if you're asking me 
up here, John, today to deny myself. You actually just want me to hurt myself. Like somehow Christianity is, is sending a message that like Jesus, I should carry my cross and die and my life's just going to be horrible and everything's going to be painful and that's like what you want from me. And I don't want that system. That is the farthest thing from the truth of Christianity. Jesus says the last shall be first. Like the whole idea of self-denial is not that we would hate our lives and be in so much pain, but that we would finally let go of them because our lives and the things that we're after and the fulfillment we're after are the things that are causing us so much pain. We can't hurt ourselves if we are secure. If we are secure in who God is and what Christ did, then that denial will not make us feel less secure because we're adopted into the family. So, faith means we are secure in our attitude, in our identity. And I say attitude because I was thinking about identity, who I am. So much of my attitude comes down to who I think I am, right? I will jump out of any situation. I might go bite somebody's head off because just the moment before, I was preying on myself. I was making myself feel insecure. I was beating myself up. I was saying, oh, I just can't do anything right. And then I lash out because I had decided that my identity was somebody who's a failure. And then I'm going to react out of that. So our identity is our attitude. And we can be secure in that attitude. Number two, faith in Jesus means we are secure in our community. We are people who've been given all we need now. We stand on that, invite others to jump off of the burning ship of man-made modernity. We invite them to jump off of the top of the Tower of Babel for the solace of a Savior. We can't build anything that will get us there. The ship is going down. <laughs> I saw... I saw somebody online that they're literally their name, their like YouTube name was like, I'm giving up on modernity. Like they were just like, I'm giving up on where we're going. Like this isn't working, guys. <laughs> and I just thought like, you're not even like a Christian, but you're seeing something here. You're seeing that like it's falling apart in front of our eyes. Like this week, more than any week, we could, some, well, some of us might say, it's not falling apart. This is, we're finally getting to where we need to be. But to me, I just see like, Everything that goes on, both sides politically flaring up, right? As like just a bigger presentation of the problem, right? Like it's just like, it's just going to be like, like constant warfare. There's no security in that. There's just a constant reaching and reaching and reaching. So when John talks in verse 1, I talked about, he said, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. This is very clever language. John's a super clever writer, just in this opening statement of the letter, because what he's saying is, everyone who believes in Jesus has been born of God. Okay, so we're all children of God if we believe in Jesus. But then he says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. 
So, it's saying not only has Christ been born of the Father, but as people that have been born of him, we love the rest of us. We love the rest of our community. So the security that we find in our community is not seeking the love that comes from others. We're not going to be able to love our community if what we're doing in this space and this church is coming to consume love from each other. That's not going to get us there. He says it's about keeping and obeying his commandments. So he walks right through it. He says, how do you do that? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Both in doing and in restraining, how do we love each other in our community? Not how do we come to consume love from each other. Not how do we approach a relationship to feel, to walk away feeling love. That's not the point. The point is how are we obeying God's commandments? God has a system. His commandments are his laws. I got, so I actually walked out to my car, parked right out here on 17th, and just like any other day, walked out, got in, and there was a ticket on my car. I thought, I can park here. Noah's got his ambulance parked out here like every week. Why, why can't I park here? I was like super upset, right? $150 ticket. I was just like, what? Well, it turns out my plates were expired like for four months. Like, I didn't know why I got the ticket. I could, I could look at this ticket and go, well, I didn't get it. Like, I didn't get a reminder slip in the mail. It's your fault. I didn't get a reminder slip. But like, that's not how the system works. The system says you have expired plates. Here's your ticket. I don't get to decide it costs me $150. Like, I didn't make the system. The commandments, God's law, is his system. And it's not there to make me feel like junk, right? Like, I feel bad that I got a $150 ticket, but the reality is there's some system, as functional as humans can make it, where apparently I need to be charged $150 for that ticket to make everything work out. Now, I can, I can complain about that all day long, but the reality is somebody somewhere has decided my expired plates cost $150 to make things right in the world. That's the world system. Now, fortunately, like the world system is not a good system. So I can complain about that if I want to. But God's system is a good system. God's commandments are there to love him. They make his system work. Like God has given us commandments to obey, not because he's some exacting dictator, but because these things actually are indicators. If, we, if, if he didn't give these to us, it would be unloving. Like, it's loving to give us things that say, hey, in order to love, love each other, let me help you out. There's actually 10 things that would really help you out with that. One is just don't kill each other. Like, that's a pretty good one. Another one is let's not, like, pretend we, like, let's not want each other's stuff all the time and each other's wives. And, like, let's not lie to each other. He's just, he's just opening up this idea of loving each other and giving us more to go off of. That's his system. And it says his commandments are not burdensome in verse 3. They're not burdensome. If we see God as an exacting God, as somebody who is not good, as somebody who just wants us to feel pain, then we want to run from those commandments. But if we see that his system is loving, 
then we can see these are not intended to be burdensome. Why am I so burdened by them? Interesting story. I was at a I was speaking at a, a independent film event, right? And so I was up front doing my thing. This other group comes up, and it's like a husband and wife who make independent feature films, and they do it on like a shoestring budget, right? And they were talking up front, and they're like so in love with what they did, right? They just like couldn't stop talking about the screenwriting and the fundraising and how they do it for next to nothing. And they're like 45 years old. And I was just looking at them going like, how can you be excited about this? This sounds terrible. Like if that were me in 10 years, I would be like, what has happened? You know? They're like, we sleep in the bus and we go to each theater and we're just excited that people show up to watch the movie. And I was like, ah. <laughs> Like they do, it's not burdensome for them because they're in love with it. That's what makes it not burdensome. Can our commandments be not burdensome to us? And how, right? Another, another way of looking at this is Tim Keller has a great illustration I'm going to totally just poach right now and use. Um, imagine you're in like a high rise in New York, right? And you've got your job, you walk in this room, and, the, and your job is to fold papers. Like just fold them and set them on the side of the desk. And that's your job. And you need to do this for like six months, right? So you're just sitting down going like, I can't do this, right? And they say, hey, you're going to get paid minimum wage. And you're just like one, like a half day. And you're like, I'm out. I need to find a real job. Like this is no good. But next to you, there's this other, there's this lady folding papers and she's just like loving it. She's singing along. She's whistling. She's like never going to stop folding up. Come to find out later, she's getting paid $1,000 a day to fold those papers. What's the difference? The difference is like what's in sight. What's there for you? What's promised for you? Do we live each day knowing that what's promised to us is the kingdom system? His eternal life utterly changes the way that we're going to live, the way that we're going to serve each other. And then he gets specific in verse 16 and he says, here's one way I want to do this. And I want to challenge us as a church. Here's one way that I want you to do this. He says, he says in verse 15, Sorry, verse 14, it says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And then he goes on in verse 16 through 18, and he talks about this idea of a sin leading to death, right, that we talked about. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. What's that talking about? What's that talking about? It's talking about intercessory prayer, this idea that we should pray for each other. As a community, part of our unity is seeing that occasionally we're going to slip up. But he really is careful here. He's actually like very prescriptive. He says, don't just pray intercessorily. Like, don't just pray to intervene on God's behalf for somebody who made a mistake. If they're just constantly, constantly, habitually, like denying the community, denying the faith. It's a different kind of thing. He's saying there's a sin that leads to death, and that's a habitual sin. That's a sin that says, I don't even want anything to do with y'all. Right? He's saying, no, 
what he's talking about is how do we build each other up in community? How do we love each other? To actually have grace over the small things. Both pray for your friend, but if you're going to pray for your friend about the sin that they did against you, that means you're going to forgive them. That means you're going to move past it. So in our small community here, we're too small. Christians are too small in the world to get wrapped up in these little mistakes that we make with each other, that we make between spouses, that we make in our relationships, that we make at work. These small things between Christians, here's what makes Christians secure in community. We can say, eh, God can take care of that for you. I'm going to pray on your behalf that he would take care of that in you, and I'm going to live as if you are not broken, as if you are whole. And I'm going to work at restoration. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let that debt go. <coughs> right? He's not saying let people just spiral and, and go to their death. He's actually saying don't do that. But he's saying in the little things, have so much grace. Especially in the church. Especially. Number three. We are secure in our outcomes. This gets to that first part I read. Verse 14 and 15. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked him. Now this, this is like constantly twisted. And even maybe in hearing this, you're kind of thinking like, well, I don't, that doesn't work for me. I don't get it. Like I pray for stuff all the time and he doesn't do the thing that I pray for. So if God's not doing the thing that I pray for, A, he's not loving, he's not good. Um, and I'm, kind of feeling like maybe this isn't for me. You know, I'm getting weak faith here because God's not doing what I want. And I want good things, right? I'm praying for good things that I want him to do. Why isn't he doing that? So, I always got to read the fine print. He says, according to his will. It's key. It's so key. God is always working according to his will. We are adopted into a family with a father who knows best. Second, faith. This is all, this whole chapter is about abiding and being born into. So the second piece here is faith. That we must remain in him. If we are born and we are in his family and we are serving his law, his system, we are in that, then the things that we ask for will be obedient and according to his will. So, True spiritual power. You want your prayers to matter? Live in his system. Serve your people. Pray for things that are according to his will. Like, I almost feel like when I pray, I have to discipline myself to be like, if your will, Jesus, then, like, let this be done, right? And sometimes I actually, like, slip that out of there because I don't, I, doesn't, I don't even want it to be his will. I just want it to happen. Right? It feels like if I say, and if it's your will, then I'm kind of like deflated. Like I, I'm worried I'm not going to get it. That's why it's so key. It puts us in the right place to say, your will be done. I think so many of us see that like, this seems transactional, even this. It's like, well, John, you're just saying like, I have to be part of this scheme to get what I want. So actually, it's kind of like a mob dynamic. 
It's like Don Corleone, like his God. And he's like, you know, if you do what's good for the family, you know, like, then I'll give you what you want, you know? Because we don't see God as like a good person. Like, how are we going to want his presence if we don't see what he's going to do for us as good? And then we end up fighting tooth and nail for our life. Because we just see him in the wrong character. True security, finally being secure in our outcomes, means that we pray more for how we can be part of God's plan than for asking him to save our plan. Such a huge difference. God, how can I be part of your plan? God, help me to pray for things that are your will. Such a deep level of letting go. Key thing to remember that in chapter 5, verse 1, right when he opens, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's something that we do. Jesus showed us the ultimate love. Our love will never compare to his. So security and peace of mind is found in Jesus Christ doing that which he asked to the ultimate extent. He did it. And we're asked to let go and to have faith in the promise. He let go of everything. So how much is it for us to just begin that process, to start Jesus was the anti-consumer. He was the enemy of self-fulfillment. And he was the champion of other people. So true love, to love like Jesus loves, brings true security. Let's pray. Lord, you challenge us with your word. You force us to redefine how we see the world. Help us to take in what we've heard from 1 John, to take this to the bank, that we are secure in you, that you give us all that we need, and that now we can begin to pour out for others. In your name, amen. Amen. Amen.